But I hate when I feel like this And I never hated you Neurotica is a weekly podcast going to the deepest, darkest parts of the mind and bringing them to light. Topics range on mental illness, behavior, and perception and more. Please be warned, many episodes contain trigger warnings. If you ever have thoughts of suicide, please call the suicide hotline at 1-800-273-8255. Hey everybody, welcome to Neurotica. I'm your host, Cody Ryan. I'm here with my co-host, as always, Bobby Oculus. How is it, Bobby Oculus? How are you doing? I'm doing well. I uh, survived a couple harrowing experiences today. Um, One was when I was coming back from the Eagle's tailgate to uh, record this episode. A stabbing almost happened. uh, Oh yeah. Directly next to me. uh, Oh no, that's awful. Yeah, it, uh, it wasn't great. Um, but by far more harrowing than that was, uh, being at an Eagles tailgate completely sober. So yeah. I managed to survive both <laughs> of those. Uh, so ready to rock and roll. How about you, Cody? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm doing well here. You know, we're getting to the throes of the holidays and I've already started my Christmas shopping cause I'm a crazy person, um, who well, loves get gifts for people and then just give them to them in November anyway. Uh, so I try not to be too much into capitalism, but Black Friday will steal my wallet. Um, and, you know, I, I think if we're mentioning Eagles tailgates, uh, I think it's time to bring in our, our guest who I know is a little bit newer to the East Coast. And we wanted to bring her on to the, the show today to talk about a project she's been working on. But we wanted to let you uh, hear a little bit of that in her own words. Her name is Nina Freeman. Um, and I'm going to hand it off to her to just tell her a little bit about who she is and why she's here today. Sure. Um, So I'm Nina. And actually, I, while I did live on the West Coast for a long time, I actually grew up on the East Coast. So old, old school East Coaster. I grew up in Massachusetts, but I live in Maryland now. Um, And yeah, I'm a game developer and a streamer. Uh, The last game that I released uh, with my partner, Jake Jeffries. It's called Last Call, which is, I think, what I'm here to talk about today. Um, And that's a narrative game about my experience with domestic abuse. It's a game that uses... It's sort of like a first-person exploration game that integrates voice, um, like microphone audio. And prior to that, I my focus has always been on narrative games, um, exploration games. So... I worked at Fulbright for a long time on their game Tacoma where I was a level designer. So that's part of my background. And then also I worked on um, Sybil and How Do You Do It, which are two of the more known games I've worked on, which were with myself and and some friends of mine. Um, and those are games that are drawing on my life. So semi-autobiographical games or personal games. Um, and yeah, that's the the kind of work I do. Personal, narrative, sometimes 3d sometimes 2d games sort of a a big variety of of stuff yeah and you know i was looking into kind of your resume as they say today but i i did get a chance to play last call um and the way that i found you um you know was through streaming um and it's funny because it's kind of a, a couple degrees of separation and how you know, it, it led my journey a little bit too, but I remember I, I saw you through Mary Kish. Um, oh, cool. 
and Mary was always the person who was playing uh, Resident Evil's games, you know, uh, uh-huh. Kanini. Uh, and I was so afraid as a kid of, of playing those games. So I watched her and then obviously you were on a few of those. And I, I remember before I even knew you were a game developer, I did feel like as a streamer, you were kind of more of what I was looking for, you know, as somebody who was uh, more aligned to my politics and the way that I talk and things like that and being respectful. And um, I really, yeah. And I really saw that shining through in your game um, that, you know, even with the, you know, such darkness with it, there's still those moments where you're, you're looking at, you know, a copy of um, Pokemon snap and things like that. So (laughs) that was like my, my number one question right away was because I I remember I would see snap and I get excited and then I would see, you know, the note, Uh And we'll talk about the note a little bit more as we get into the game. But, um, you know, for me, I've just been so curious, like, and we can talk a little bit more about, you know, some of the particular content warnings that, that go into it. But, um, you know, just finding that dark and light, like how you're able to balance it, because that's a lot of what we try to do on this show. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So do you mean uh, like how, what is it like to work on a game when it's about something super serious? Like, how do you keep it doable <laughs> is that yeah i guess it's like you know because you do have a clear vision of this uh you know event that went and occurred in your life it's kind of autobiographical mm-hmm. as you said mm-hmm. and you have to acknowledge even in this dark you know event there were still good things that happened around it and some of those might just mm-hmm. be you know things that were in your life that were material or they may be other moments and things like that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so right do you feel like there was like any kind of like you know block be- to your focus you know knowing that you kind of had to try to mix these two things together at all yeah uh so for games that i've worked on that are drawing on my personal life like last call um i tend to i try to take a story um a story that you know i really experienced that i feel like is something that i want to express using a game that i feel like has sort of a a core concept or a core conceit that would make sense explored through the medium and one of the things i really like about games is that you can you know present a story in a non-linear way and you can present a story that uh you can basically use something like environmental storytelling to tell a story. So show someone a space that they can then learn the story from based on inferring connections between different objects, for example. So like, you know, you see the, so in last call, if people listening haven't played it, basically you're exploring my apartment. Um, It's in a state of being packed up to move. So there's like all my shits and boxes all over the place. And you're like sealing up the boxes and packing them and you find little pieces of a poem scattered throughout the boxes that uh, talk about the story of domestic abuse that I experienced. So when you find like the box with like my games in it, you know, that's something that I think that I really put there to sort of build up this image of who I am as a person. Cause you know, I'm not just the story of domestic abuse, right? Like I also have all of my hobbies and my things and my interests. And those are all things that fill the space where I experience these horrible things. And that is like a really important aspect of telling a story, you know, with about 
a person or, you know, it's about me, but really I'm the character in the game, right? So I'll say the character <laughs> so that the character has some nuance and like feels like a real person because real people have things around them, right? Like we have stuff and we have interests. So it's important to me when doing a character portrait like that to show the player what that character is really like hopefully through their living space or wherever the game takes place through the details of what they would have around. Um, so that, that was sort of my goal with that part of it. Yeah. And that was something that I um, really liked about the game and what it reminded me of um, was a couple of years ago, I was listening to a podcast um, with Stephen Hyden, who's a music writer. And it was about every episode was about a Bruce Springsteen album and he had on back to back Julian Baker and Phoebe Bridgers who at the time, this was before Phoebe was like what Phoebe is now. Um, but at the time I mostly knew them as like these girls that made really sad music that made you cry. And they're on the podcast and they're like super funny and charming and all that stuff. And what I appreciated about the game was that like sort of both of those sides were able to come through it's not just mm -hmm. the sadness and the darkness it's like you know the, the the little hints of the personality beyond like the uh -huh. the core you know the, the core narrative yeah and that that's really important to me because I think <laughs> typically when you see depictions of like especially women domestic violence victims, um, which of course not all domestic violence victims are women. Um, but when you see that, the sort of stereotypical like depiction of it is just them and like a sort of sad dwelling, like super just bleak, like a very, you know, cause the situation is bleak. Like, of course you would show that aspect of it, but like a victim of that kind of violence is also a person with like a whole life story and much more going on with them than their relationship with that partner. Right. And I always feel like, I always like, Oh, when I see these stories, like I want to know more about that person. Like, I don't, I don't know. It just doesn't feel fair to show a victim of this kind of violence as just like what they are in that situation. Like you should show their humanity as well. Um, because, like, as a victim myself, I, I want to see that. Like, I see, you know, these stories and I'm like, oh, it just feels like trauma porn most of the time. And, like, I don't want to – I want to just, like, learn about these people and try to connect with them and relate to them and, like, have their story resonate with me as a fellow victim. So I sort of, like, put this game out there as, you know, my expression of how I would like to see this kind of story depicted in the future also. Because, um, you know – trauma people who have had traumatic experiences happen to them are much more than that and like how can you explore the traumatic experience while also uh showing them as like a whole person does that sort of make sense yeah thank you for using that term trauma porn because literally the thing that i was thinking of that is the exact opposite of this um and that is the way that i think you usually see domestic violence um victims portrayed is like this is us where every character has like their one thing that defines them it's like one guy oh i'm not familiar with but everyone it, but... thinks he's bobby so always one... pulls off he's not talking about bones for the rest it's of the podcast actually this is us is a very popular show well basically <laughs> okay, one cool. one guy is um handsome but everyone thinks he's dumb 
one woman is um, overweight, one the other brother is black, and it's like what? their their entire character is flattened. And I feel like that is how domestic violence victims are portrayed often. Maybe with good intentions of showing how bad it is, but yeah, um, the the fact that the game shows the character you whatever you want to say as like a three dimensional person where this is a you know it's it's an important aspect of your life but it is not your entire being or like you're not defined yeah. by mm-hmm. one characteristic yeah exactly um and part of it was really inspired by me feeling like you know i'm on social media a lot and whatever like as i sort of have to be because i you know, stream on Twitch for a living. Social media is like a a pretty important part of that for me. And there's always, you know, some new horror story of someone getting abused or having something traumatic happen to them. And I'm always happy that people feel like they can go to social media and share those stories and like get them off their shoulders and just like, you know, it's it's healthy to be able to express yourself in that way. Um, But sometimes it feels like the way we engage with those stories as good as it is for the person who is sharing their story of trauma, the rest of us are sort of just consuming it passively. And like, if it's someone I don't know, I'm like, okay, so now I know the story of their trauma, but like, do I really know this person? Like, I I don't really, right? Like, I know that this horrible thing happened to them, but, you know, they're also a person that is on the internet and like, they have an existence beyond that. And I was thinking about how weird it is or like, yeah, it's just weird. I know so many people just through them sharing their stories of trauma on Twitter, but I don't know them and I don't know much about them beyond that. And I had been thinking about that and I was like, oh, wow, maybe I'm like one of those people. Like, what would it be like to share my my horror story, but with a little bit more of myself in it, too? Um And, you know, not to obviously like people should share their story in whatever way they want. And that was like what I wanted to do for myself um, because I felt like I wasn't getting that from other people right now. And I was like, oh, that would be something that would satisfy me to do. So I think that was also part of my motivation. Yeah. And you definitely don't have to talk to Bobby and I about um, Twitter and its need. Uh, Bobby, how how did you meet your uh, fiance again? uh with my now suspended twitter account <laughs> yes now suspended twitter account. but i i feel that because we know philly twitter as we call it is a little bit closer than some cities and we kind of built a family around that and i can kind of understand like we express things differently than friends usually even express things to each other because we might be constantly reading about each other's lives in ways other friends don't um, but that's one of those things that made me really, um, intrigued in this game was the other side of things, because obviously you're talking about a very true story in your experience with it, but there was something about the game that made it unique and I thought it made it beautiful. I, and I thought maybe you could talk about that a little bit and why you think the game should be played specifically this way. And I think, you know what? I'm Oh about. yeah. With the microphone. Yeah, that's true. So I guess to build on what I was just saying, the game was partially inspired by yeah, reacting to how on social media we have all this like we see people's trauma, but we don't really get to know much about them beyond that. And then there's another layer to that, which is I read someone's twit longer of the abuse they endured 
but I don't get to like I can at them or like like their tweet <laughs> or whatever or like share it. But that feels very impersonal. And when I posted originally about the story that is depicted in the game, I did originally like write about it on Twitter and, and you know, told people about it publicly. Um, and I remember people responding to it and like liking it or whatever. And I was like, wow, what a weird feeling. Like people are liking this tweet about like, you know, how I got, yeah. almost murdered and you know of course i put the tweet up there so i should expect that that's how people would respond but when it was actually happening i felt kind of weird about it so i was like wow these are just a lot of people i don't really know and i don't know what they really think of my story um they're responding using the tools the platform gives them so like there's nothing bad about it it was just it gave me a weird feeling of like emptiness or something like i wasn't getting the connection that i was seeking by writing about it i wanted to feel like you know people were really hearing me tell the story and like believing me and and engaging with it but there's no way to really get that from twitter like unless you go get on a call with someone at least for me i'm sure other people have different feelings on that but when i started thinking about that it made me want to think of a way to make this game involve other people's like active engagement with my story so that's how jake and i ended up integrating the uh the microphone so in the game when you read the bits of poem that i wrote about my uh domestic violence situation you can respond to those poems verbally by saying i believe you or tell me more or i follow there's like a selection of phrases you can say and that was totally inspired by my desire to know that people are like actually listening to my story and like engaging with it thinking about it actively and responding to it rather than just passively consuming it um so yeah that's that's where the microphone mechanic came from well i love the the microphone mechanic too because there's so many people you know obviously this is a mental health podcast at heart and you know this is obviously hitting on something mental health but your very real experience a lot of people say, I, I don't know how to respond to that type of thing, you know, when uh -huh. I see it. Yeah. And when I was playing, I, I remember thinking, I want to say more, but at the same time, what more can I say? And then it hit me. This is what Nina, you know, needs to hear right now, because that's what she's telling me is what, you know, is something that either she didn't get before or was helpful when she got it before and tell me if my read is wrong, but that was kind of eye-opening to me to say, oh, like, you know, I, I've never really been in a situation where I have a friend who's been a victim of this and they're looking at me like, here's my story and what do you say? And really just to say, I'm here, I see you, I believe you, tell me more. Mm -hmm. Like, I, those are the things that I'm like, yeah, that, that's exactly what I should say. Yeah, I think that that was definitely part of what I was going for. I mean, part of it is also like the technical limitation of voice recognition APIs sure. aren't that smart. So <laughs> we can't have you say anything that complicated. So Jake and I went to great lengths to like both come up with phrases that made sense. Like if, yeah, you were talking to a friend, what, what would you say to them? Like, what did I want to hear? And the phrases are both, uh, they, they fulfill that while also fulfilling the technical needs of the game. 
Um, I mean, that's another <laughs> challenge of game design. Like there are certain things you just can't do. Like I couldn't let the player just say whatever they want in their <laughs> yeah. microphone or like, I, what would how would the game even respond to that? It's just like, maybe there's a way to do that, but there are technical limitations. So um, yeah, and I, I think a lot of my favorite and most fun ideas that I have as a game designer come from working within constraints. So I'm glad that it it managed to work out and this constraint produced a result that also also represents something that was true in the story, which is that, yeah, I want people to believe me. I want them to acknowledge me without like, I don't, they don't need to have an opinion about my situation. Like I just want them to listen, <laughs> you know, yeah. like that, that was really what I was looking for. So that's what the game gives the player um, the ability to do is to acknowledge my story. That's what I wanted. I didn't, I don't need more than that from anyone. Um, and especially yeah. from strangers who really don't owe me <laughs> anything anyway. So like, it's it's the bare minimum, but it is something I, I really wanted. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And I definitely think that was something for me that even, you know, where I would be somewhere where I say, I want to say a different phrase and I can't, and there's a constraint on me. I then think I empathize with you more because I'm just the guy trying to, you know, say a piece back, you know, and it, it must be so hard uh -huh. to say those words. And I'm trying to like break off the words that are, you know, the, the only thing the video game is giving me. Mm -hmm. And, you, you know, we all, we both play video games, you know, sometimes you just don't have control and sometimes you scream at characters. Sometimes they do cooler things you expect, but <laughs> you, you know, we stay with these constraints, but I, I really felt like it gave me that perspective of, yes, this is what she needs to hear. And I can't go back in time and make it better that way. So I don't need to be a, that superhero that breaks the game to, to say the mm -hmm. new thing. I just need to say this. Yeah. And part of the power of like choices, like dialogue choices in games, for example, like in this game, you know, you read the part of the poem, it tells you part of my story. And then you have the option of I think there's like five, usually two of them are like, I believe you or tell me more. Those are the two of the choices, for example. And I think like part of a core part of the game play is figuring out which choice to make and in trying to figure out which choice to make you have to consider like you know do you which phrase do you really believe in when you say it with your voice it has a different kind of weight to it so I really I, I was happy with the effect of asking people to use their voice because I think it made them consider their choices more than they might have if they were just clicking on something um and that was this is the first time I've ever used a microphone as a feature in in a game so it was really interesting to see how it changed the, that moment of choice and the way that it causes players to like think through their choices um that voice aspect of it really it gives it a gravity that i didn't fully expect what i'm pleased with <laughs> it's a worthwhile experiment <laughs> and um i didn't get a chance to play the game but i did watch your playthrough that you have up on youtube um mm -hmm. so i have some questions about the mechanics of the game um, the sure. first, the first you mentioned, um, experiencing the story in a nonlinear fashion. Um, I, uh -huh. I was, I was wondering while I was watching it, whether each part of the poem is tied to a specific box or if they sort of come in yeah. the same order every time you play through. So the poem itself is 
totally linear. It's written like a poem, you know, with a set order to the stanzas. Um, So that aspect of of it is linear, but you can interact with the boxes in any order that you want. So it's the kind of non-linearity that is more experiential than like literal. Um, Because... That, that's something I like to experiment with a lot in the games that I work on, actually, especially ones with dialogue, because it's really hard to write truly branching dialogue. You have to write a lot to make it rewarding, <laughs> yeah. and I don't have time for that usually. So I'm always really interested in ways to design games where like, they can feel nonlinear, but have sort of a linear amount of content. Um, and I was definitely trying to do that here. So you can explore the apartment at your own pace. Um, rooms do unlock over the course of the game. So there's sort of like a meta linearity where like there's three rooms in the apartment and you explore them in a certain order, but within any given room, you can pack in whatever order you want. And the pacing of it therefore changes for each player because not every single box has a poem in it. So you might get like five boxes in a row without a poem, but the person playing at the same time as you might find three poem pieces in a row. So like the pace of it is going to be different for every person and the boxes that you, the order you pack them in is going to be different and the contents of the boxes. So what you see that is being packed inside, so like the games, my clothes, toiletries, etc., that is also random. So you except for a couple a couple of them are set but most of the boxes are are basically randomly populated with stuff so there is non-linearity in the packing process but not in the poem okay um does that make sense yeah and um that that was that answers that question and um mm-hmm. yeah. my my other question was um obviously because I didn't get to actually play it myself i was wondering if um if the responses that you give, does that change um, what happens in the game or is it just sort of like the player having to figure out like what, what it is that they feel about every particular aspect of the Mm -hmm. story? Yeah. The intent is totally the latter where, you know, you choose what you say based on, you know, what you're feeling in that moment. It's not changing the game at all. Um, but also, like, it's, I think it's okay to be not super clear about that with the player because people do wonder about that. And that invites them to think a little more about what's going on in the game and maybe engage with the story even further and keep their eye out for details. So I like to leave stuff like that vague um, because okay. I find that it helps people feel a little bit more invested looking for that kind of thing. And then hopefully by the end of it, they just feel satisfied and it's like, okay, that nothing changed you just have your personal experience of it um but yeah i I don't spell everything out in that way super explicitly because it would be sort of like breaking the fourth wall in a way that i don't want to do um so some open-endedness i find desirable um for those reasons for that sort of like engagement so as from like a design standpoint that that's how i was thinking about it when building it and i like that that's how that works because it sort of speaks to like what you nothing that you say can change what happened. So yeah, like, yeah, which is true in real life too. So <laughs> yeah, ex- exactly. <laughs> yeah, like yeah, you yeah, can totally. you can say all the right things, um, but you know that that trauma still happened, and not, yeah, all, all you can do is like the best you can do. Uh huh. And it's really about that 
like you actually cannot progress in the game if you don't say anything even if you play with there is an option to play with microphone off if like you know for people who don't have access to one and in that case you just click on the phrase you want to select it's not the default you have to like go into the options to enable that mode but even in that mode like you can't progress without picking a phrase so like there is, I guess, technically like a fail <laughs> state <laughs> for the game, which is like, you don't engage with my story. And like, since that's what the game is about, that's really the only quote fail state is not responding to me. Um, and it was important to me to make that be true in the game because the whole point of it is to prompt the player to have a conversation with me about the story and to not consume it passively. Um so yeah, that that's why it it's designed in that way for sure. Yeah, and I, I kind of had another question uh, related to the pacing because you brought up something that Bobby and I talked about right beforehand, and obviously this was a little different for both of us as I played and he watched a playthrough. But the box is not always having a note in them. As the mm -hmm. game first starts, yeah, you just want to keep reading the notes. It's exciting. You get a box that's empty. You're like, oh, it's just a box. But as the game went on, I felt, you know, that kind of sinking feeling in my stomach when I saw one of the notes and, uh -huh. you know, you get a box, two boxes in a row and it feels worse. And I wonder, was that based on any kind of, um, you know, uncertainty in your life at the time, you know, not knowing when these events would happen? Was there a, a mm -hmm. particular reason why you picked that pacing? That could be kind of different for everybody. Right. So the reason there are boxes that don't have poems in them is basically to give the player time to think about what is going on in the poem, to give them like a little bit of breathing room, okay. because it is a lot to process, uh, you know, because the game, the poem in the game, I won't say any of it out loud because it's just a lot. <laughs> you can watch the video or play the <laughs> game to, to read the specifics, but it has graphic descriptions of like the some of the violence that I experienced. Um, and it, you know, it's not always only that there are other parts of the poem that are actually on the happier side, because it was like good parts of the relationship. Um, so it it has a mix of things. And that's a lot for anyone to process, especially the more violent parts, I think are like hard for people to it's hard to read that and then just like keep going. I find that people want to like sit with it for a minute before they can go on. So that's why I wanted to put in enough boxes that don't have poems to enable that sort of silence, that just that thinking time. Um, because otherwise rushing through the story, it just doesn't, it doesn't feel right um, to me. And especially even like if I was telling the story in person, I probably would, go through it kind of slowly and take a lot of pauses and like stop to consider my words here and there. So it also starts, it also was sort of drawing on the experience of telling that story to people and how it would, you know, stories that are difficult to tell, you don't do it quickly. I mean, maybe some people do, but I don't, <laughs> mm -hmm. I take my time and the game I think reflects that. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, I think the game has, from what I've seen, uh, gotten some great reception. So far, I played it, and I, I really loved how the story uh, unfolded. And I know you. that you, <laughs> when I discovered you, uh, you actually had a much different name on Twitch. It was Hentai PhD. 
And, True. That was my original dis- handle. <laughs> yeah. And we discovered today that you have a Wikipedia, which Bobby and I are now jealous of. Um, <laughs> and, you know, it's getting updated now to talk about your, um, you know, last call work. But they talked about how you've always been this person who, who kind of does have that self journey. And one of your first games was about, you know, uh, I believe it was about love and sex through an online game and exploring that mm-hmm. and uh, learning sex through Barbie dolls and stuff like that. Now that you've taken this, uh, you know, story that's a little bit, you know, darker, do you feel like that's like going to open up, you know, something for you in the future of, you know, exploring more darkness? Or do you feel like this is something that you can kind of feel some relief from to keep exploring other stories? Or do you feel like they're just always entwined? Mm-hmm. I think I know that's probably a lot me... to un- unpack. Oh, no, no, it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> I got it. The, as far as like my, the body of games that I've worked on, um, which by the way, I never really work alone. I always work with different groups of people, usually friends. And I've worked with many different teams over the years. So um, shout outs to all of them for supporting me. Um, these games have all had very varying themes because from project to project, I don't really like to do the same thing twice in a row. I try to do something super different. Um, so like, you know, one of the games I worked on was called Bum Rush. It's like a, I forget how many players, 12 player racing game where you try to race around a town and take home as many dates as possible and like be the one to take home the most dates. So if you like bring home six people, you win or whatever. <laughs> it's like a really silly, like funny game about like poly dating or whatever. It's just like an action game. It's just silly. So that's one. And then Sybil is a game that I worked on prior to that really shortly prior to that that is you mentioned it about uh, an online relationship i had um that ended miserably it's actually sort of a sad game <laughs> so like those two games are super different tonally um and i've always been that type of creator where i try to keep it fresh for myself by being open to do things that are both super lighthearted or really intense um and going back and forth you know, with each project. Um, and yeah, I just find that to be inspiring for me and it keeps me making games. Um, I know some people really like zeroing in on one genre and like getting really into sort of one type of game, but I'm like totally the opposite. I like to work on stuff that's really different all the time. Um, so yeah, (laughs) it's been all over the place. (laughs) Speaking of, uh, inspiring you, uh, just to take a step back, I'm, I'm curious at what point you knew that, um, you know, creating games was something that you wanted to do. And mm-hmm. at that time, um, what sorts of games you thought that you would be making um, should this, mm-hmm. you know, should you achieve this goal? Um, yeah, I know. I know that you played a lot of Final Fantasy online, obviously enough to uh, meet, meet <laughs> See, someone. You read the wiki. You... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's uh, true. But obviously you'd have to probably play a decent amount uh, to meet someone that you would, you know, meet uh-huh. up with uh, in the real world. See, Bobby's um, not good and... at picking up people on Final Fantasy online and then he would lose <laughs> Rush. That's the problem. <laughs> Uh, well, I, I also because I'm uh, from Soft Sicko right now. I saw Bloodborne in the game, um, so obviously these are very different 
they're different experiences from each other, let alone um, uh-huh. from the sort of short narrative uh, indie game um, that we're mostly talking about today. So, yeah, what 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 inspired you to want to get into mm-hmm. this line of work? And uh, initially, what sort of games did you yeah. think you'd be making and what brought you instead to what you are making? I actually started I started making games I guess sort of shortly after I graduated undergrad so when I was an undergraduate I was studying at Pace University doing English literature I was poetry person in college and that's what I thought I was gonna do and I was like yeah I was like (laughs) working on that whatever that's how I learned a lot about writing sort of personal stuff personal work because a lot of the poets that I really enjoyed wrote about their lives um primarily in their work and I always found that really inspiring so that's sort of where I came from narratively um definitely drawing a lot on that old the time studying poetry um but I also always was into games I obviously played Final Fantasy 11 for many years which is what Sybil is based on uh and I'd always just been into games ever since I was a kid um and every game designer says this (laughs) and so of course uh but later you know I finished school and I didn't know what I wanted to do I was like I love poetry but I don't know what job I want and then I was just working whatever jobs to survive in New York City because it's expensive as hell and I ended up just falling in with a group of friends who were making games and I felt really inspired watching them work on stuff and I would be writing my poetry and like looking over the shoulder at whatever they were working on being like wow how does that work and eventually that led to me going to game jams with them and being like can I help like I can code a little um and it was just all game development from there i started going to game jams and just didn't stop and i yeah that's i think how do you do it is one of the earlier ones you mentioned uh where it's about how i would make my barbies like play act sex when i was a kid because i didn't know how sex worked so i like tried to figure it out using barbie dolls um that was like one of the first games i ever worked on at a game jam with my friends um and my partner at the time who i made many games with um And I just sort of fell into it as a social thing at first. And then it became a career because I loved it. And I had always loved online games, but also big Final Fantasy nerd growing up. So I'd always been into narrative character driven games and games with cool stories and lots of drama. Um, And I sort of let that meld with my interest in personal writing from the poetry side of things. And I basically work on stuff that's, yeah, (laughs) narrative but small like poems. (laughs) So I think it's sort of the hybrid of my interests evolved into my career almost by mistake. Um, Interesting. And now here I am. (laughs) So, I mean, obviously I don't know many game developers. It's Mm -hmm. uh, solidly at one now, even one half. Uh, (laughs) We don't know each other that well. Um, but I guess I I always assumed that anyone that got into it was, you know, initially wanting to work on a big AAA games like they played. So it's interesting to hear that from the very beginning, um, it was these like, you know, more contained narrative stories. Yeah, I mean, when I was getting into making games, the cool like there was this was like after post Journey. Like, remember when Journey came out and that was a big deal because it was like a really yeah. Uh, huge game but made by a small team or not huge as in like 
hours, but it was a very popular game, but made by a small team. It was like Journey had come out and I loved that. And then there was, I think it was like Cart Life, Gone Home and Kentucky Red Zero all came out around the same time in Dysphoria. And these were all games that I found through my friends and just through the internet. And like, I, those games really struck me i found them to be super amazing before those games though i had only really played like triple a games like a final fantasy or whatever um or you know my n64 growing up final fantasies you know saga whatever all these a lot of japanese games actually that was always what i was really into but then when i started making these game developer friends and was going to these game jams it was like the kentucky route zero era that was the stuff that everyone was talking about so like I think I started working on games at the perfect time for my interests because those are small narrative games. And that's like the kind of thing I'm really interested in as an artist. So I, I love big games. I love AAA games, but like as a creator, I'm more motivated to actually work on those smaller ones, uh, especially because I'm not like a trust fund kid or anything. I couldn't afford to make that fancy <laughs> shit anyway. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, I can also tell you you're having a, a, a much better time playing Demon Souls. I think you already have beaten it than Bobby, <laughs> who uh, it, it breaks his PS5 when he tries to play it. Oh, no, that sucks. That game's so fun. I love playing it. Yeah, well, I'm uh, probably like hundreds of hours into DS2 and still have like a third <laughs> of the game to go. So Hundreds yeah, of hours? Yeah, that'll happen. I, beat that I honestly don't. I think, <laughs> I think I was like drunk one night and left it on and so it now says like 500 hours which is not true oh, so yeah. I, I have yeah, no yeah, actual yeah. i have no actual gauge of how long it's been but it's been <laughs> a, a, a lot i'm really bad at it mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. really you're really bad at ds2 i was really bad at ds1 that's that's see really yeah, this is the symmetry we have as hosts is uh, <laughs> trade off which uh soft games we're bad at um, but I've told, I, I I've told Cody that the only reason I beat DS one was the pure toxic masculinity of needing to like feel like a man and feel <laughs> like I had feel like I had beat, put it under my boot. Well, Nino plays soft games as well too, so you could take your toxic masculinity and chuck it. Off. <laughs> uh, but no, I, no, I there's I some of that in those games. I I get it. It's it's yeah. fun that you actually acknowledge that it makes you feel that way. <laughs> it's refreshing. <laughs> I think it's funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, because those games, like you know, they're uh, they're like the classy but still violent and kind of broy games that we all just kind of yeah. like. I don't know. You just forget that it's like that because it's souls and everyone loves it. But they do sort of. They're very tropey video games, you know. But that's fine. We're allowed to enjoy that sometimes. Yeah, I was it's funny. Okay. It's like every time you meet a queen, it's like you know she's all like regal and everything, and then you go to check a note, and somebody's like chest ahead, and I'm like, oh come yeah, on, yeah, man. yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, Those games are full of that, and it's like you know, it, it is what it is. <laughs> yeah. Incoming liar. I, yeah. I was you can enjoy the things that you are also critical of. That's what I always yeah. say. You are allowed well, both. I was kind of curious if um, maybe this is just my inexperience with a, a lot of types of video games. I was I was wondering if like the some of the narrative stuff as far as having to pick up on hints in the boxes was like at all inspired by the very sparse way that the FromSoft games tell stories. Or maybe oh, they're, yeah. maybe they're reminiscent of each other without you know being directly drawn on. No, no, no. It's it's a good question. And actually, I had been thinking while we were talking about this that 
you know, I mentioned when I got into making games, it was like sort of post journey, but around that time, that was also when Demon Souls came out in the oh, US. Yeah. So like I was playing Journey and Flower and Demon Souls all at the same time. And then that was like right before I discovered all those other narrative indie games that I'd mentioned. Um, it may have been farther apart than I remember, but it, it feels like all the same time period in my life. Um, and I like that that time in my life of playing games has always been was very formative for me. So I think Souls games have fed into my games a bit because I don't really like working on games with a ton of dialogue. Some of the games I've worked on do have that, but I'm totally more into telling a story by showing rather than telling. And I think Souls games do that in a really interesting way. And I definitely feel inspired by that. And that's the kind of game I'm drawn to as a player. So I aspire to do that in my work as well. Although I also experiment with heavier dialogue sometimes. Because like I said, I like to try something different each time. But in the end, I think I'm like a less dialogue is more kind of dev. So <laughs> um, I would say, yes, I find those games to be super inspiring. All right, now the question. Let's yeah, go. <laughs> good job, Bobby. Bobby's our interviewer. Like I said. <laughs> um, but I, I was just very happy you said Flower. And I, <laughs> I love made, that game. I got made fun of by so many people that I would want oh, to play no. a game Flower. But everybody that I actually got to sit down and play it, I was like, you will feel the most relaxed you've ever felt yeah. playing this game. And then it gets even like kind of towards the end a little bit hectic but it's just like it was a game that no words were said nothing needed to mm -hmm. really be taught and it just it moved me and yeah. i like that a lot i think games are really really good at building atmosphere and the kind of atmosphere that you can only get from like interacting with a thing and seeing it respond like that kind of atmosphere is really special because you're involved in it and I think like Flower and Journey and the games from from that game company are really are really good at that. So I can see how the title doesn't I don't know, the title doesn't do it justice, yes. really. <laughs> I mean, it's fine. It's good. But it is so much more than that yeah. <laughs> when you actually play it. But how do you capture a game in a title anyway? It's like, yeah, so hard. that's true. I mean, it's I not many games these days. I actually uh, Bobby's sitting on a um article from me where i actually uh disagree with what the title of the last of us is about and i won't mm -hmm. reveal it because i want to get bobby to actually edit it um, <laughs> but i think that's something though where in the past people uh you know would ignore things and even games like dead space you know the original dead space the big uh, mm -hmm. reveal was if you just read the chapter names you would have already known like Mm -hmm. the first letter i think it says she is dead and that's like the twist and if i'm if i'm mm -hmm. really spoiling dead space for anybody at this point i'm sorry but i think <laughs> that came out before 2010 but it, it's just like kind of one of those interesting things though where we do look for a lot in the names and stuff of video games i feel like but mm -hmm. now i feel like i also play a bunch of video games where i'm like the name makes no sense to me <laughs> and the graphics are not the nicest ever and i've just let go and said i want to have fun if i'm having fun i don't care yeah yeah and sometimes i wonder what like i would be so curious about the last of us or like any games made on that scale how much the title is actually driven by 
the game developers or writers versus like marketing experts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, I yeah. do wonder about that sometimes. Um, but for me as a, as a dev of these like smaller games where I don't have anyone telling me what to name my game, uh, which maybe they don't, but you know, you wonder uh, with these huge corporations for last call. That was actually a name I'm really proud of because it's hard to think of a title for something that is like, how do you like put a title on like a story about my trauma? I was like, this is such a ridiculous thing to even try to do. Cause it's, uh, you can't boil it down to a title really. Yeah. Um, but for me, sometimes the best titles are just evocative of one image in a story or like a really important moment in a story. And for me, yeah. last call was drawing on that moment at the end where the poem gets to the bit where I'm like, after the really bad night happens, I end up at the local bar, like trying to get help from the guy closing up. And, yeah. you know, last call is both about something that happens at a bar when it's closing. And also, uh, at the end of the game, you know, there is a last phone call I make. So it had sort of like a double meaning for me. And I was like, oh, I did it. I was really proud of that title. <laughs> but it took me a long time to get there because it felt like such a ridiculous thing to ask myself to do. I was like, how do I title such like a ridiculous experience? Um, yeah. So, yeah, Can't they're hard. It. They're hard to come up with. Can't exactly yeah. call it my struggle. Yeah, yeah. Like I can't call it that. That would just like it just doesn't <laughs> yeah. work. Um, and you know, it also comes down to preference. Like everyone yeah. has different preferences and what kind of title they want. In any case, so yeah. In any and case, I, can't talk. In any case, <laughs> don't worry. I I can't talk half the time on the podcast alone. <laughs> uh, but one thing that definitely I wanted to ask about because uh, I can see we're we're taking a lot of your time here, and we really appreciate it. But. Uh, your your partner Jake, uh, he's mm -hmm. very supportive. I see him in your stream sometimes. Uh, yeah, given very useful hints or very uh, useless hints. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> either way, um, you made this game with him, and obviously, you were sharing with him, uh, you know, a past relationship, which I know can be hard sometimes to do with your your current partner. But do you mm -hmm. feel like this helped you to like help him understand you or do you feel like he already kind of had that and that's when you felt like you could do the project with him? Mm -hmm. Yeah, actually, I think uh, Jake and I working together on this game was awesome. Actually, originally when I started working on it, it was just me. I made a prototype that I sent out for play tests and whatnot. And when I realized it was an idea that I wanted to build out more i went to him because he's a really good artist and i was like i need help i can't do art can you please help me and he's a really good uh like shader graphics programmer person so he brought a lot to the game like the whole visual identity was his um and i like one of the like fun things about being a game dev couple is that i think our skill sets really complement each other so like he's a great artist and he has like he's able to bring in atmosphere through the visual side of things to the stuff that I work on that would otherwise maybe fall flat without it. So like, I really appreciate that he was able to work on this with me. Um, Cause I think the visual art part of it is so important, but I could never do it by myself. Um, so yeah. And it, it seems like it might be weird at first for him to like work on something with me about like 
my abuse of X and like, oh gosh, like, you know, how does he feel about that? Blah, blah, blah. But he was super supportive about it. And like, he was even the one who encouraged me to write about this experience in the first place. Cause I was telling him like, oh, you know, sometimes I have like intrusive thoughts about this experience and like, it can make it hard to write about other things. Cause we're working in a horror game together right now. So like sometimes yeah. I'm trying to write a scary scene and I think of scary things in real life. Cause that's, you know, how that kind yeah. of thought pattern can work when you've had a traumatic experience. So Jake was like, well, why don't you just, you know, try writing it out in a poem form and see if that like helps you not get distracted by it, whatever anymore. And I was like, I agree. And it took me months to like get myself to do it because I just was like, oh, it sounds like so much work and I'm so busy with everything else. But eventually I took his advice and it ended up turning into this game. So um yeah, I guess I really have him to thank for encouraging me to write about it in the first place. Um, and how nice of him to <laughs> when it became more than just writing to make working on our other game easier. He even came in and helped me with this. So, wow, we've been busy. We're working on a lot of stuff together. Um, but it has been a lovely collaborative experience. Yeah. And I, I again, want to thank you for taking the time out and talk to us. Uh, I know we had some uh, some technical issues beforehand and you were more than willing to stay patient with us while you were super busy. But we do a little things here, like most podcasts called plugs. Uh, before we do plugs, I have, oh, I have one more question, actually. Bobby has a big Sorry. Yeah, yeah. We'll no go. worries. You're <laughs> good. You're good. It's just funny because I feel like I was very primed uh, for this game because my uh, fiance has been playing a new game called Unpacking. Have you heard of it? Oh, I heard about it. I haven't had time to play it, but I I yeah. heard about it because I was like, oh my gosh, I also worked on a game that's sort of about packing recently. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so, so I was like, I have to play it. <laughs> she's been playing that, and we also watched Promising Young Woman last night. So um, I'm, I'm just from all directions, I was like primed for this game. Um, awesome. But I'm, I'm glad that you heard of Unpacking because that was another game where it's like very show don't tell it's about unpacking mm -hmm. and yeah. sort of relationships as you move through life um I so i was curious if you had heard of that or played it but, oh yeah i wish i had played it um yeah. i'm excited to because it sounds super up my alley i i love that kind of game yeah. um so yeah good tip yeah. cody had mentioned uh that flower like makes you feel relaxed and is is my fiance played through the whole game and she's just like, it's so relaxing to unpack. And then she like saw someone talk about like the story of it. And she was like, I did not notice that at all. And immediately <laughs> played it all the way through again. <laughs> yeah. And that's okay too. Right. Cause if it's a showy, it's a game about showing rather than telling, like in the end, yeah. every yeah. player is going to come away with their own experience. That's very much drawing on their own, like life and like things that they pick on, like things that, you pick up on in a game story are going to be different from what I pick up on because we have different life yeah. experiences. So like, of course, that's going to happen. That's one of the challenges of making games that are about showing rather than telling. Because like, if you do want to get a specific point across, you have to like go to great lengths to make sure that players come away with it that aren't like otherwise you just have to like literally spell yeah. it out in a sentence but if you don't <laughs> want to do that it's really hard to like make one clear point so that's like one of the interesting challenges of making a game like that um yeah. and i always i'm curious to see how different games deal with it 
Yeah, it's a cool game because it, it works on the level of uh, the story is you unpack and then it also works uh, narratively if you have your eye out for it. Would recommend. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that is a good transition, though, what I wanted to to talk about. Plugs is something we do here on the podcast. Not not too surprising, but um, Nina, I know you from Twitch, obviously, you have a new game called Last Call Out, but tell us everything you want the people to know. Sure. Um, so Last Call is the game. It's up on uh, itch.io. My website, which has a link to that, is ninasays.com. So N I N A S A Y S dot S O. And that has links to like all my other stuff, including my Twitch stream, uh, where I stream Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, every week. Um, and my schedule is on Twitch. My handle is Nina Marie. And then finally I'm on Twitter. I'm not like, I used to be so active on there, but I've been like distancing myself a little bit from it. Cause that's wow, smart. it's just streaming yeah. all the time. Like that's a whole platform in and of itself and i'm working on games with jake and it's just been a lot but i do tweet whenever i go live so if you you know are active on twitter that's one way to keep up with me i'm persicom nina on there um so yeah those are all the places that i'm at but really twitch is the place to come say hi because that's where i'm at the most um and if you are interested in last call um jake and i are working on a new game a horror game that we've been working on for a while uh, a bigger game. So, you know, you can keep your eye out. I'll have more stuff to share in the future for my game dev work. All right. Cool. Awesome. Bobby, do you have anything yeah. to plug this week? <laughs> uh, I do. I uh, actually Ooh. dipped the pen for the first time in a while and wrote a blog article, whatever you call it, uh, called You Never Have to Change Your Mind. And it's about how uh, basically the, the big news items, non- non-explicitly political of the week, which was Aaron Rodgers uh, being discovered to be unvaccinated, uh, the Suns owner, Robert Sarver, being outed as a uh, racist and fostering a toxic um, toxic workplace environment, and Dave Portnoy, you know, revealed, being revealed to be what everyone knew he was. Uh, it's basically about how if you don't want to believe any of that. There's easy counter narratives that you can find that allow you not to. And how much that sucks. Well, that sounds very complicated. I, I could never write an article like that. So my plugs are going to be not as interesting in comparison, but you can find me on Twitch, possibly watching Nina's channel. Uh, but I have <laughs> my own channel as well. I don't stream as much right now, but I'm definitely looking to add more. I do Monday and Thursdays myself. Uh, Twitch.tv slash CodeRan. I think people know the CodeRan brand. What else was I going to plug? Uh, oh, yeah, that article that Bobby needs to edit. Yes, future plug. <laughs> future plug for an uh, article I may write, I guess. All right. Well, that's our plugs. Uh, Nina, we usually do this thing where we let Bobby get the last word of the week. But I think since you're our guest, it, it would only make sense if you gave us our last word. It could be anything, just any word. Vulpix, which is sitting on my desk. I'm just looking at my Vulpix figure because it's cute. <laughs> I love it. Like, what's the Vulpix. first thing that comes to mind? Vulpix is love. cute. It's a high level just Pokemon. Think about after talking about all the serious stuff, just go look at a Pokemon and you'll feel better. <laughs>